podcast. Okay, welcome to the People with Backpacks podcast. This is a project of the Globetrot Surat travel blog, and that's me, Joel Globetrot Surat. On each episode, we're going to travel to places all around the world, and we're going to hear from storytellers who have stories that are filled with inspiration and important meaning. So grab your backpack, stay tuned, you're listening to the People with Backpacks podcast. I've met a lot of people who've given up and left behind their 9 to 5 to travel more and see the world. Carpe diem, live life to the fullest, a slogan to live by. At least that's how I feel, and I think that's how our storyteller today, Courtney Condi, feels. And on today's episode, Courtney's going to share with us her story of stepping out of her comfort zone and into the unknown, and how precious life can really be. So, let's put our hiking boots in our pack once more, but this time we're definitely going to need a warm jacket, because we're on our way to Nepal and the Himalaya Mountains. Let's go. Life is really short and we're really not promised anything. And I think a lot of us are told like work really hard now and you'll have the time later, but that time is definitely not promised to us. So I'm Courtney Condi. I am the founder of Occupation Wild, which is a outdoor and adventure industry job board. And I also host the Occupation Wild podcast, where we chat with people who left the traditional to live a life beyond nine to five. Just growing up, I always felt like there was one path, right? Like you graduate from high school, you graduate from college. And then once you graduate from college, you find a good job and You know, you're married at 27, you have kids by 30, and that's it. That was like all I knew, and nobody else in my life did anything else. And I had this thought in college that I was very, very ambitious in college, and I've always kind of had that more like intense personality. I was like, I'm going to make a million dollars before I'm 30. Once I graduated from college, I got a really corporate, uh, well-paying job in San Francisco, was living in the city, um, kind of doing just that thing where you're like going to work, after work, you're going to happy hour with your friends, you're going home, you're doing bottomless brunch on the weekends. And I became disillusioned with that really fast. And I just didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, Everybody didn't really get it either. People are like, well, you have a great job. And I remember talking to people and I kind of felt like nobody felt the same as I did. A lot of people in San Francisco are kind of on that startup or corporate grind. I think as a kid, I was always really adventurous. I love the outdoors, but I think for some, like for some reason, I kind of like pushed that down because sometimes I think when you get older and I didn't have any like quote unquote like expanders out there that were doing similar stuff. I didn't really know it was possible, but until I think I kind of had more of an awakening about this in my early twenties, especially um, yeah. Watching Anthony Bourdain was a huge thing for me. And I would just also, I think when YouTube and the internet came about, I would watch a lot of people vlogging about their life adventures And I was just like, whoa, I want to be doing this. 
And kind of just by pure chance, when I was 24, I started been out of school for maybe like two years. Uh, I actually was on my laptop trying to buy tickets to Coachella, which if people know that big music festival back when those were a thing. And my best friend from college called me, Meredith Kaufman, and she, and this is 2015 for context. She called me and was like, well, what are you doing in April? And I was like, girl, I'm like trying to buy tickets to Coachella. And she goes, screw Coachella. Let's go to Nepal. And I just, I'm also really impulsive. So I was like, all right, let's do it. I had never backpacked. I think I had never even been camping. And you're going on this like multi-day trek through the Himalayas to get to Everest Base Camp. And it was so surreal to me. There's huge, beautiful mountains. The food is amazing. Culturally, Nepal is so beautiful. The people are amazing. But when you get to Kathmandu, we had a few days just to kind of explore. And then we met up with this trekking group who was led by a guide. Get from Kathmandu to the start of the Everest Base Camp trek, you have to fly to the Lukla Airport, which is like the most dangerous airport in the in the, the most dangerous airport in the world. And you're on these tiny little planes that are like bouncing all over the place because you're in the mountains and there's crazy turbulence. You like get there and there's yaks and there's these crazy peaks and you see um, mountains like Abba de Blom. And then as you start hiking up, eventually you start seeing the kind of the little tip of Everest every so often and I kind of was like, whoa, the, this mountain has some crazy powerful energy. I have probably too much confidence and I was just ready. I was like, I'm gonna crush this. I can't remember exactly at this point how many people are in the group, but there was kind of a group that was older, like maybe 40 plus. And then there were um, me, my best friend Meredith, and then these three people who were just a few years older than us that had come from Colorado who I still talk to to this day. In one of the towns where we did, we stayed for two nights to acclimatize, they had this little bar there and me, my friend Meredith, and then our friends from Colorado went to this bar. We each got like Everest beers and they put on the movie for us into thin air. And everyone was like, kind of like, oh, that's kind of like a gnarly movie to watch because it's all about all these people that die on Everest. <laughs> it was like, it was on VHS too. Um, and like, when I looked back on it, I was like, this seems like a crazy, like horrible screen play. Like somebody I feel like wouldn't believe that actually happened. It's like playing like the Titanic on like a cruise ship or something. And when we were, Two days away from base camp, an 8.1 magnitude earthquake hit on April 25th. The day of the earthquake, I remember this because I had been really sick. All of a sudden, like I, the ground, I could feel the ground moving. When it started, I was like, whoa, I must be like, the altitude must really be getting to me because I'm feeling dizzy. It actually takes a while for your brain to kind of process what's going on. And I could see everybody else was kind of like, what's happening? And then it started to move more violently. 
I remember looking off to my right into the distance and there was a village and I could see the tin roofs on the houses flying up and down, like flapping up and down and things are starting to kind of like fall apart. And I was like, having grown up in California, I was like, oh my God, this is an earthquake. And our group actually continued on. And I remember we got, so like when you're doing the trek, you stop at like these tea houses along the way to like get lunch and get food. So I remember stopping at a tea house. Everyone's kind of like, oh, there's this earthquake. You're meeting other trekkers from other groups. And then I remember um, like we're in the middle of eating another huge aftershock comes in. Um, things are kind of like, I remember things were like falling off shelves. I remember somebody jumped out of a window. It was very disorienting because people were just trying to like get out of the house. One guy in our trekking group, he, I remember as I was trying to run out of this tea house, I remember he was just lying on the ground. And I remember being like, oh no, like this is not good because he had kind of been complaining about feeling weird that morning and when this giant aftershock happened he um was just lying there and um with high altitude he had he pretty much ended up passing away of a high altitude pulmonary edema and i think there was just like a lot of confusion people don't know what's going on throughout the trek going back down there were just crazy aftershocks, like ones that were so big. And I think that started to cause, like really, really wear on people, obviously, like someone's passed away. And as well as like dealing with that loss, dealing with just like huge aftershocks, there's massive landslides. Um, I found out later there are groups ahead of us in both ahead of us and behind us that were totally taken out by landslides. And it, I feel like almost like I'm lucky like, I feel lucky that you were naive about it in the moment because I think that also just causes so much stress. Like, just no, I didn't know that the landslides were that bad until I came home and started talking to more people. Because of this massive earthquake, um, every emergency service has been dispatched up to, at, like, actual Everest Base Camp. We can't reach anybody. There's no satellite phones. There was a one phone we found out in a village that was working. And when they called down, they're like, we need to go back down to Lupa right now. And I remember one the hike down, we were like hauling ass. We were doing like full days of hiking down. Not like normally you'd be like doing like eight hours of hiking, stay, you know, we were like hauling ass. Right, kind of almost getting back to Lukla, one of the tea houses we had stayed in was totally shut down, had kind of been collapsed in on, but I remember standing outside and my iPhone pinged on Wi-Fi. So I was able to open my phone and really talk to like my family and stuff for the first time because they thought I, they hadn't heard from me. Like for almost like 48 hours, I thought I was dead. All these Facebook messages, people all these emails people are emailing me and I would think that's kind of when I was like whoa this is like really really serious and I think also getting back to Lukla we learned about the avalanche that happened on Everest um, a lot of the devastation that had happened around Nepal also when we were trekking down we started meeting people like running down from Everest 
um, climbers and everybody had like lost people from their climbing team. There were a lot of people there now trying to get flights out. And because the weather is so volatile up in the mountains, you can't, there's not like 50 flights a day. There's like four flights a day. There's people freaking out. There are uh, certain um, countries that are sending their um, military pretty much to Lukla, to parts of Nepal to get their um, citizens out. The US didn't do this. But <laughs> Actually can talk about this forever. I had travel insurance and they didn't cover anything. I remember calling mine because within the travel insurance you get, it gives you like a helicopter rescue. I feel like if you guys have gotten travel insurance, you probably know that. Um, and we were calling and pretty much what I was told multiple times was that the situation I was in was not considered an emergency. So they would not be doing that. Um, they also would not refund any part of my trip or travels or emergency services we had to go through because they said, again, they don't consider what we went through an emergency. It was just an unfortunate situation. We waited in Lukla for, I think, five days, just waiting, like just trying, going to the airport, trying to get flights out, um, just spend a lot of time waiting, which was kind of weird. You kind of feel like in suspended animation. Um, eventually got a plane out to Kathmandu. And then from there, from the Kathmandu airport, um, ended up getting a flight back to San Francisco. Sometimes when I look back now being 30 at 24, I see myself as very young and kind of naive about things in the world. Something like a natural disaster was not, it was definitely not something I was thinking that was gonna happen on this trip. But I think like a big thing, a big takeaway from that trip was the guy who passed away, who I think about honestly every day now, he was in his mid forties. And I remember chatting with him because he was traveling alone. And I had never really met people that had traveled alone at this point. <laughs> Obviously, now I've met a lot more. And I remember asking him, like, oh, like, why did you decide to do this trip? And he was telling me how he was, like, very successful. And he pretty much had worked his whole life. And now he was, like, I think 45 or 47 and he was saying how he never had time to start a family or get married or travel because he had been working so much. And he was saying that even like a month ago, he'd gone to Disneyland for the first time. He was like, I don't even have kids. I just wanted to see it. And for him, going to see Everest Base Camp was his number one, like that was his number one like live stream. He was like very into the whole Everest saga and just reading about those adventures. And I think coming back to the States and it put a lot into perspective for me, just thinking about this man's life. <laughs> it kind of caused me to have this like quarter life crisis 
I quit my job. I sold all my stuff. I ended up moving to Colorado for a little bit, but then ultimately I left corporate life behind to become an adventure travel guide. And I just felt this huge, huge desire to see the world. And more than seeing the world where some people would be like, but you can still travel. And I was like, no, I don't want to be on a, at an all-inclusive resort in Cancun for one week out of the year. Like, I want to be going to India. I want to go to Bhutan. I want to go to Fiji and really meet other people in the world and not just be like chugging margaritas and getting tan. I think in the past, I would kind of be like, that's so silly. Like, that's silly. Like, those aren't things like you can do. And like, you can do them now and like, you should do them now. And it just kind of really like set me off on like, I really need to like go do the things I want to do because you just don't know. Like you don't know when you're on a trek in Nepal and that's your last trek or you don't. I think sometimes we forget that because our culture and society here in the States, especially is not very, we don't talk about death a lot and we kind of forget that all of us do have to die And I think from that, like just realizing that really set me free. I was like, all right, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. So like, what do I want to be doing with this one life I have now? Thank you to Courtney Condi for sharing her story. You can check out her work at occupationwild.com and also listen to her podcast. As always, it's been a pleasure traveling with you, and I look forward to traveling again on the next episode. In the meantime, catch up on our first two episodes at www.globetrotsurat.com or peoplewithbackpacks.com, and you can read other travel stories that we have there from people I've met from around the world.